continuing to think about the church story that is Ephesus, the church story that we are mining for its impact on our lives and on our church. We look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. It says, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer or an elder or pastor must be above reproach the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how can he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Therefore, he must be thought of well by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace and into the snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Let them also be tested first. Let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also a great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Dana. Thank you, church, for being here. It's good to see you this morning. I hope that you're glad that you came, and uh, I'm glad that we were able to worship together uh, this morning, and now I'm excited about being before the Word uh, this morning. I want us to spend a few minutes this morning thinking about leadership. Leadership is a big deal. As part of that process, just a couple of exercises this morning. Uh, who are the three, when you think of leadership, what are three names uh, that you come to mind? Not everybody call my name out. That's kind of embarrassing if you do that, but but Three people that you think of when you think about leadership. Maybe these are people from history. Maybe these are people that you've read about. Maybe these are people that you see on TV. Uh, these are people from your past or whatever it may be. Three people that you think of in terms of leadership. I also want you to think in terms of the, the question of who is the person who you have had the most direct impact who was the best leader that you've known personally. Maybe for the first question you thought about some folks from history, you know, Abraham Lincoln or, or, or some great figure from history, but, but in terms of your own life, when you think, now that is a leader. Now the truth is, I don't know how your list is coming along right now. I don't know how you're, you're coming along in that question. But, but for me, I, I find that leadership is really hard to find sometimes. Particularly really solid leadership that you can really, really trust on. I, I was just trying to think about this for, for my own life. And I probably have to go all the way back to like high school and to a coach that I would think of. Now that was the person who probably had the greatest leadership impact on my life just because of his character, because of his gifts, because of his investment into my life. That's what I think of when it term, in terms of leadership. 
The truth is, is that leadership is a really big deal. Uh, you know, the phrase has been said, everything rises and falls on leadership. Uh, in fact, what, we, what we're saying when we say that is, is that if you have a, if things go really, really well, there's probably a leader that helped set that tone and that, that strategy and, and executed that plan. And then on the flip side, if things have gone really, really poorly, boy, probably a leader really dropped the ball someplace along the way. Hey, in fact, as I think about leadership, I, I try to reflect on some of the things that I've been taught about leadership, some of the things that I've learned about leadership over time. Uh, one of my favorite things that someone told me years and years and years ago is that if you're leading and nobody is following, you're just taking a walk. You're, you're not really a leader. We've been thinking about it in terms of what does it mean to be a leader in, in our church and what does it mean for, for a person to take a space that says this is a leader. And one of the things that we've been thinking about is that we've been saying, listen, if, if you're not moving in the right direction, then you can't be a leader or you shouldn't be a leader. Hey, when we think about it in terms of if you're not leading for the right reason, then you may be more of a bully than you are a leader. Now, why do I bring these things up this morning? The reason I bring these things up is because we're thinking about this church in Ephesus. And we're coming back to visit this Ephesus church that we've said we have the privilege of watching from its birth all the way to really one of the last letters in the New Testament includes an update on where the church on Ephesus is. And so we get to watch this whole generational span of this early church. And so we've been watching from when it started, when Paul was just kind of passing through real quick and he leaves it in the hands of some lay people. We see it when Paul comes back and he spends about two and a half years in that congregation. We see as he comes back and he, and he visits the town next door and calls the leaders from Ephesus over because his heart now is so attached to that church that he's afraid that if he goes to visit Ephesus one more time, he'll never, ever leave. And then what we have is a couple other places where Paul writes letters. We have a whole letter that he writes to the church in Ephesus. And what we have this morning in the book of 1 Timothy is that we have a letter that Paul has written to Timothy, his right-hand man, so to speak, who, who is there in Ephesus. And Paul writes this letter to Timothy and says, these are the things that you need to focus on. Now, part of the reason why Paul is writing these letters is because he is in prison, so he can't be there himself. And so as he writes this letter to Timothy, who is providing spiritual oversight for that church in Ephesus, particularly in the fact that Paul can't be there himself, the letter that he writes anchors down on leadership. Here in the center of it, here in, in chapter 3, is about leadership. But it's triggered really from the opening words. There are some leadership issues that are in that church. And so Paul spends almost the entire book in 1 Timothy talking about spiritual leadership in the life of the church. Now why does Paul spend so much time talking about the issue of spiritual leadership in the church? I think that there are several reasons why. One is because he's in prison again. But he's not just in prison again. Every time Paul seems to go to prison, he, he seems to go further up the ladder of prisons. Uh, he, he's in this little municipal prison, then he goes to this prison, and then he's there in this kind of... Um, 
kind of in a, in a state prison, and now he's gone to prison all the way in Rome. And basically he has, he has appealed his case all the way to the Supreme Court, all the way to Caesar, and I think that there's a sense in which Paul knows whether I'm in prison or whether I'm, in, whether I'm executed, I'm not here forever. And so he begins to say, listen, these churches, whether it be Ephesus, whether it be Corinth, whether it be the churches of Galatia, wherever it is, these churches are going to have to find leadership that's different than me. And so he begins to say, listen, these are what you need to keep in mind when you think about leadership. I think he also speaks about leadership because this is a growing church. It is a developing church. The influence of the gospel is increasing. And so because the influence of the gospel is increasing, the structure of leadership needs to increase. Now I think it's interesting because when Paul had gone to Miletus and he called the elders over, that tells us that there was already a leadership structure in place. He invited the, the, the people who were the spiritual leaders of that, of that church and those house churches, he, he invited them to come. So there already was a structure. But here as he writes, uh, about a decade later, he writes to the church and says, listen, this is how you choose leaders. Now part of the reason they needed to choose leaders is because the church was growing. And the leadership structure of yesterday does not fit for the leadership structure for tomorrow. A healthy church is always growing and adding leaders. A healthy church has to be developing young leaders. There has to be people who come in and take the place. There have to be some people that are added too. Now, I'm not talking about young people replacing older people, although over the course and the passage of time, I mean, that happens. This is not playing one group over the other, but what it's saying is in a healthy church, New leaders are being added all the time. Some of them are new leaders that are coming into the faith at whatever age, and so they're added. Others are younger individuals who are growing into a place of leadership. And so Paul writes this because the church has to be growing in leadership. He also speaks in terms of leadership because sometimes leadership can be tricky. We don't really want to focus on this too much, but sometimes the wrong people get in leadership. Sometimes leadership individuals begin to have a quarrel about who's in charge here, who's the boss, what's the roles, and, and there begins to be some, some competitiveness in terms of spiritual leadership. And so Paul writes to that. And I also think Paul writes to that just because he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. And so as we come to this section of the Ephesus story, we're going to focus on spiritual leadership in the life of the church. So let's lean in and hear what Paul says to that church in Ephesus about spiritual leadership, and let's see what that says for our church. To begin with, one of the things he's going to say, and, and this is really, you know, you know write this down because you'll, 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 you'll really want to remember this. Every church needs leaders. Every church needs leaders in this role in the life of a church. 
Now what Paul says here in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, now that word is the same word that we use sometimes for pastor or uh, the same word that we use for elder. That's an interchangeable word right there. He says that if you aspire, if it's inside of your heart to be a spiritual leader in the life of the church, he says that is a good thing. Now, there's a little bit of the tension that we see back here in chapter 1. He's describing some of the difficulties uh, that are happening in the life of the church. And some of the difficulties is that there are some people who have stepped up who are leading the church in the wrong direction, particularly through their teaching ministry. And in chapter 1, verse 7, he talks about those who have desired to be teachers. They want a platform. And so Paul kind of pushes down on that and says, listen, you've got some people who are trying to just get space on the platform that are doing harm to the church. But he also wants them to hear when he gets to chapter 3, he says, listen, but I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with desiring to be a spiritual leader in the life of the church. In fact, he says, if you desire to be a spiritual life, a leader in the life of the church, that is a noble task. That is a great task. That is a fantastic thing for your life. The reason for that is that every church needs to have leaders. So let me say this at the front end of this message. Let me speak to you as clear as I can. It may be that some of you are future leaders for this church. It may be that some of you are going to be future leaders in other church. It may be that you're going to be a team leader. It may be that you're going to be a teacher. It may be that you're going to be a deacon. It may be that you're going to be a pastor. And in fact, if it's not true that those things, if those things are not true about this church, it will be a sign of an unhealthy church. If we're not growing the next generation, the next decade, the next year, of leaders and teachers, deacons and pastors. We have young people here today that are getting ready to go to camp and one of the things that God may be speaking into their life in this very week is that there is a call of God on their life. Maybe it's for a position with a title or maybe it's supposed to be that they are to spend their life serving the church and whatever capacity is needed, they need to be one of the bedrock people in the life of the church that makes things happen. But every church needs a leader. Now you may be saying, well, I don't know if that's me, I don't know. Maybe you're saying, I don't know if that's my kid, but whatever it may be. Listen, God has this habit of finding, selecting, choosing the most surprising candidates for spiritual leaders in his word. He loves to do that. Part of the reason that he loves to do that is so that nobody says, well, sure, that person was gifted and talented. Obviously, they were going to do it. He said, no. They're going to do it because the Spirit of God is so strong on their life. And that's the only explanation for what they do. So those of you who aspire to be overseers, to be elders, pastors, spiritual leaders in the life of the church, what you desire is a noble and great task. And may God put that in your heart beginning today. May he grow what already exists in your heart so that it's stronger and stronger in the passage of time. 
Now, when we look at that, there's a little bit of a question, boy, that's not the way we normally talk about that. What we normally talk about is certain people are called to do these things. And Pastor, you're talking about people who have an aspiration, a desire, a bucket list to serve in the church spiritually. How do those two things go together? One commentator really did a great job of pointing out that the way that spiritual leaders are raised up in the life of the church have three essential elements. There is the call of God in their lives. In fact, at the beginning, every time that Paul introduces himself at the beginning of a letter, he always says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, called by my Lord and my Savior. Always he emphasizes that call. You couldn't meet Paul where he didn't tell you about his calling that was upon his life. But there is the calling and there is also the stirring in your own heart that says that's something that I'm supposed to do. That's something that I want to do. So there's the calling, there's the aspiration. And the third thing is there is the confirmation where the congregation says, yeah, we buy that. We can see that. We, we can see that the call of God is on your life. We can see that there's a stirring inside of your life, and your life is consistent to do those kinds of things. It's a wonderful blend of the call of God, the aspiration of the individual, his desire or her desire, and the confirmation of the congregation. The focus this morning is that you need to be thinking about the fact that it is possible that God is going to call you, place you, draw you into the spiritual leadership of this church. Maybe in the next seven days, maybe in the next seven years, I don't know. But part of what you're supposed to hear is that God needs leaders for his church and it is a good thing to have that pull and desire on your life. I would also tell you that every church needs godly leadership. Every church needs godly leadership. The, the funny thing here is in this passage of Scripture, where it's really one of the longest passages that it talks about spiritual leadership in all of Scripture, it doesn't really tell us what these spiritual leaders do. In fact, what I want you to see here is that there are 23 qualifications for spiritual leadership for pastors and for deacons in this passage of Scripture. 23 of them. Go home and make a list. 23 different qualifications for pastoral leadership. 22 of them have to do with who they are. One of them has to do with what they do. Understand this. The character the inner working, the spiritual vitality of a leader matters more than anything else when it comes to spiritual leadership in the life of the church. That's why we call it spiritual leadership. Listen, God's already doing the work. It's not like he needs your degree to get the job. He is already the energy that makes it happen. What he needs is he needs clean vessels that he can do his work through. And so what he says is what I need from you in terms of spiritual leadership, what I need for the church in terms of spiritual leaders is I need men and women who have a character where their life and their faith are consistent with the word of God and what they say they want to do are the same things that they do. Now make no, make no mistake, there, there's plenty of word in the word 
that reveals what the tasks are. But when he slows down, when the word slows down and says, let's talk specifically about spiritual leadership, he says, I want to talk about your character. 22 character qualities, one action. The one action is that the pastor is supposed to be able to teach. You guys figure that out for yourselves. But that the pastor is supposed to have the ability to teach. Everything else is a quality and a character issue. Now sometimes we look through those lists and, and some of those things come straight to mind and, and we ask questions about, oh, what does this mean and what does this mean? You know, one of the things that comes to mind all the time when we look at this kind of a passage is, what does it mean to be the husband of one wife? Anybody ever wonder that question? Ever church, ever wrestle with that question? I don't want to get bogged down here, but what I want you to do is I want you to read this list, all of this list. First of all, I want you to see the whole list. Don't just pick out one or two topics and say, oh, those are the ones that really matter. No, the whole list matters. But I also encourage you to read this in the same way that Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says repeatedly, you have heard it said, and he gives some rule. And he says, but I say to you, Here's the heart matter. Here's what the depth of what this is really saying. And so when we look at this passage and it says, what does it mean to be the husband of one wife? I would tell you that Jesus would say, you have heard it said that you must be the husband of one wife, but I say to you that you must have a healthy and right relationship with the woman that you're married with, married to. And that you must have a healthy and right relationship with every woman that you're not married to. What we need, what we don't need is pastors and deacons who flirt, fool around, and do a bunch of other stuff that we don't even want to talk about. And we certainly don't need spiritual leaders who use their position, their title, the respect that comes with their office to not only not point people to Jesus, but use their title, their position, the esteem of the office to do harm to people. Jesus would tell us, you've gotta have this heart condition right. I want you to look at some of these things he says. I want you to see the whole list, but. But, but here are some things that we don't always pay attention to in terms of, is this right about our spiritual leaders? A pastor is supposed to be sober-minded. He's supposed to be self-controlled. He's supposed to be not violent, but gentle. He's not supposed to be quarrelsome. He's, thought, he's supposed to be well thought of by outsiders. Verse 8, deacons are supposed to be dignified. But that dignified, I think, goes back to the same thing as sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. He would say the deacons are not supposed to be double-tongued. He would say that they are supposed to live their lives in such a way that it increases the confidence that is in Jesus Christ. Now, let me be clear about the whole message here. At this point, the message, you may be thinking, boy, something must be going on behind the scenes that I don't know about. That's not what's happening here. Well, what I'm telling you is, 
And this is the practice that we're going to live out week in and week out at this church, is that we're going to study the Word of God. When we get to that passage of the Word of God, we're going to talk about what that passage of Scripture says. And so I'm talking this morning about two different churches. I'm talking about the church of Ephesus in the first century. And I'm talking about Woodland Park Baptist Church going forward. How do we take the Word of God revealed to that church there in Ephesus, and how do we apply that to our church from this day forward so that we are the most effective church that we can possibly be? One of the things that we have to do, one of the bedrock things that we have to do is that we have to choose spiritual leaders based on spiritual depth and godliness. Hear me. Doctrinal soundness matters. Doctrinal soundness, that's part of what I'm just saying, is that, listen, the authority for a person to stand here is not from anything else other than his ability to understand and teach and preach the Word of God. But I'm going to tell you that too often, people are put into spiritual leadership because they know the facts. They, 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 they know all the details and all the right things to say. But their lives have not demonstrated that the Spirit of God is alive inside of them. That their character has not yet been fully developed. And so they should not be handed over to positions of spiritual leadership. I think about how many self-inflicted wounds the church has experienced. Because they've put the wrong people into spiritual leadership. Maybe somebody who muscled their way in. Maybe somebody they thought, you know what, they are so important outside of the church, boy, they ought to be important inside of the church. Maybe it's because they got family members. Maybe because uh, people, everybody just likes them. Maybe it's just, I don't, I don't know why. But I think about the damage that has occurred in churches around the globe throughout history because the wrong people were placed in spiritual leadership. Now what this means is that we have to be more careful. We have to pay attention to depth and not just shininess. But the question that we have to ask about all of our spiritual leaders is, can we see inside of their life that they are pursuing the, pattern, the patterns, the priorities, and purpose of Jesus? Is that central to their life? We have to pursue that. Churches, every church needs godly leadership, and every church needs serving leadership. Every church needs serving leadership. We, we go back to Ephesians chapter 4, which is written just about a year prior to this passage of Scripture that we're looking at. If you remember, we looked at this several weeks ago where it says that God gave to the church pastors and apostles and preachers and teachers and evangelists for the building up of the church. The role of every leader in this church, from committee member to pastor to worship leader to connections pastor to Sunday school teacher to every team leader, every team member in the life of this church, we have one task, to build up the effectiveness of this church and the saints who make up this church. We serve Christ and we serve his church. 
what we discover in this passage of Scripture and the detail here that we have about pastors and the detail that we have here about deacons is that we discover that pastors and deacons are partners. Now, conflicts come every once in a while. Conflicts in the life of the church have occurred. Sometimes in this church and other churches, churches around the world, across the globe, these things happen. And what happens is that sometimes we filter our experience, we filter our past, the way we see these roles based on some hard experiences that we have in our life. You know, we can divide the world up in groups sometimes. You can divide the world between dog people and cat people. I don't know why there are cat people, but, but dog people and cat people. We can divide the world between people who want to keep, keep, take their food and mix it all up as they eat it. They, they, they just take the whole plate and they mix it all up. And then you have people who think that the greatest moment in history was when they divided those plates with the, with the rigid dividers to keep all of those foods and all of those juices from never mixing ever again. There are people who say the only kind of phone to have is an Android phone. There are are people who say the only kind of phone to have is an Apple phone. And we also can divide the world inside of the church between people who consider themselves to be team pastor and people who consider themselves to be team deacon. Sometimes we look and say, boy, you know, the pastor would have it so much easier if he didn't have to deal with those deacons. And those deacons have caused so much trouble. And other people say, boy, if it wasn't for the deacons, that pastor would be running wild and we'd have no control over him whatsoever. And so some people find themselves, I'm with a pastor. If we can just get rid of those deacons. Or some people say, I'm with the deacons. Boy, if it wasn't for them, we'd struggle with all of this. I've been to the pep rallies for both of those teams. I've sat around with pastors who have carved up deacons like it was Sunday lunch. And I've heard the deacons carve up a pastor. And we find ourselves leaning toward one side of this or the other. But let me tell you, it should never be that way. That way of thinking is completely foreign to God's plan. When we read this passage of Scripture, when we read all of Scripture, what we should see is that these people have two different callings, two different roles in the exact same calling. I want you to see it just a couple of different ways. I want you to see in verse 8, in my Bible it's the second word in verse 8. It says, deacons, likewise. It says, everything that I just said about deacons, or everything I just said about pastors, is true about deacons. It's the same task. It's the same role. It's the same assignment. Likewise, it's not this team versus this team. It's not this. It is like what you were supposed to work together. It's the same thing when we see the birth of deacons in Acts chapter 6. That there is too much strain that is on the pastor teachers that the apostles were filling that role. And for the health and the well-being of the church, they added the role of deacons to help serve. 
And from that point on, they worked in partnership to support each other and to effectively do the work of the church. Now, I would tell you that I'm grateful for this church. I'm grateful for the relationship that I have with these deacons. I would tell you that in every church that I've ever pastored, I've had the most beautiful relationships with deacons. And it moves to the place after I've been there a little while, when we get to know each other, that I would tell you in almost every church that I've ever pastored, that I'd almost give them a blank check for my life and say, I trust you as we would come to important decisions. Now, we would talk about it. We'd work things together. But I trusted their heart. I trusted their calling. I trusted our shared assignment to the place that I would say, I just hand it over to you. I'm not saying that's what we did, but I'm saying that's the level of trust that we had. I'm grateful that that's my experience in this church. This morning in the first service, I I could point to Stephen Smith, our, our most recent chairman of the deacons, and say that's the relationship that he and I have had. That's the relationship I've had with these deacons. I could point to Dylan, our current chairman of the deacons. And that's the relationship that we have. So I want you to know, church, it is strong and it is right. And we have deacons meeting this afternoon, and it's going to be good and right again. But I just want us to see where the rootedness of that comes from. It comes from the Word of God, that there is not a space for competitive and checks and balances spirit in the life of the church. And I'm grateful that that's not present in the life of this church And I pray that it stays that way moving forward. Spiritual leadership matters so much in the life of the church. So what's the applications for us? What's the what now this morning? Well, the first one I would just say to you, would you pray for our leaders? You know, we just got done saying it rises and falls on leadership. The character matters more than anything else. The relationship between the different parts of the church working together in unity and shared task. Would you pray for the leadership of our church? Not because we're going through a hard time, but because it's always a hard time, the task that we have together. And the work and the kingdom calling on our lives matters that much. Would you lift up and pray for your Sunday school teacher, for your deacon, for your pastor, for your staff, for our team leaders? Would you pray for those folks? And then I would also challenge you, if you are currently one of those leaders, man, it's a crazy season where so much of the structure of church life has kind of fallen off. And it's hard to even find where our grooves are and what our tasks are. But if you are a leader in our church, let me challenge you to put your hands back on the wheel, back on, what do you put the hands on? The, 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 the plow, that's it, the plow. Thank you, Brandon, I, Braden, I appreciate that. On the plow, put your hands back on, let's get back to work. Even though that the structure It's crazy. If you are a leader in the church, find a place to put your hands back on the plow and let's get back to work. And then finally, maybe you're supposed to be one of those next leaders. 
And maybe you're thinking, oh, I can't do that. I don't know this. I don't do this. I don't do this. Well, here's my assignment for you. Would you put yourself one, clo- one step closer to being ready to serve as a leader? Whatever you recognize right now in your life that's missing, maybe there's a part of your life that's spiritually inconsistent. Stomp that out. Get rid of that. Fix that. And maybe you're like, well, I don't know my, the word well enough. Well, you, you got a copy, right? Stop it. I mean, just read it. Maybe you're like, well, I'm not a person who prays enough. Man, it's open 24-7. Wherever it is in your life that maybe you look at and say, well, I'm not ready to be a leader because of this. Man, would you take one step closer to being a leader? And and I don't know whether you're going to be a leader next week or sometime further down the road. But if God is ready to use you, would you put yourself in position that you are readier than you've ever been before. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to live out what your word says. We don't just want to be people who hear it, but we want to be people who do it. So Lord, I do pray for our current leaders. Lord, I pray that you'd renew them in their call. Lord, I pray that you'd be with our next leaders. Lord, I pray that you'd be with our church helping to identify who those next leaders are. And then, Lord, I pray that you would be with those that your spirit tapped them on the shoulder and said, I'm talking to you. And that this may be the beginning of a journey where they see themselves in a different light than they've ever seen before. And maybe they've always assumed that the work of the church, the leadership of the church is always something that someone else does. But it's going to come to the place where they are going to be one of the people that you use. We pray this in your name. Amen.